Welcome to Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Well, are you ready to go deeper? All right. I love you. <laughs> are you ready to go deeper as we start this new year? All right, because that's what we're going to do. Thanks for starting a movement over here. Um, that's what we're going to do. Uh, we thought, you know, how do we begin this year? What would be our focus? And I think now more than ever, this world uh, needs to see Christians that are deeper in their faith. We need to be deeper in our love and in our joy in our peace, and in our faith. And we're going to talk about that as we kick off this brand new series today. And as I was thinking about this, I was talking to DJ earlier. I don't know if you're, you're like me or like us, but have you ever been like driving your car and you got the music playing in the background, not really listening to it, or, or you're shopping at the mall and you're, you're doing your shopping, you're not really paying attention to that music in the background, but then you get home, right? You're, you're two hours later, and suddenly you find yourself singing a song. And you're like, where did that come from? And then you're reminded, oh, I must have heard it when I was driving. I must have heard it when I was at the mall. And then you're astounded by the fact that you actually know every single word to this song that's now planted in your brain, and you can't get it out of there. And then you start wondering, well, who sings this song? Or who made this song famous? And then you're kind of rattling through it all, and you cannot think of the answer, and that starts to really annoy you. And so you're with somebody, and you're asking, well, who sings this song? And they can't help you either. So what do you do next? You Google it, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> and you Google it, and didn't an amazing sense of relief set in when you finally saw the answer for yourself? <laughs> but didn't just a little bit of shame also set in? <laughs> As soon as you got the answer, you're like, I should have known this without having to Google it, right? But that is exactly how it seems and how it feels because it's like, it's so obvious, right? Yeah, I think that's a little bit how it is with our Christian faith. I think that's how it is with this particular epistle we're going to be studying over the next eight weeks because we've often heard verses from this epistle. We've, we've even quoted some of these verses, but then when we stop and go, I don't really know where that comes from. In fact, if somebody asks you, you know, where in the Bible does it say that, you might be stumped. And what's interesting is that while we'll often study other parts of the Bible more, you know, we often recite, without even thinking of it, verses from this epistle more than all the others. Verses like this one, you probably heard this before, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Who has heard that one before? Come on now, right? Right, right. Or how about this one? If we walk in the light and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. See, those two verses are found in the very first chapter of the book that we're going to be looking at today. And then in the very next chapter, we find a verse that describes pretty much the opposite of what it looks like to be in the light or walk in the light. It says this, it says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for our sin, ours, but also for the sins of the world. And sin, this is a theme that we're going to see in the course of this series, but sin is something that nobody likes to talk about anymore. 
We do other things, we just don't sin anymore. And the reality is we do. And sin plagues us, it tempts us, and we need to deal with it in some way. So how is all of this accomplished? Well, John tells us in the very next chapter, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Now, if we're honest, we often focus on the first part of that verse more because we are the recipients of this, that Jesus Christ, he was born. We just celebrated that. He went to the cross. He died in our place, took our sins upon himself at the cross so that we could have a relationship with him that is really incredibly powerful. In fact, so powerful, in fact, that John says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, key words there, he hears us. Mm -hmm. And then there is this verse that's loved by so many because it talks about the amazing love God has for us, right? It goes like this. It says, behold, what manner of love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. See, I, I love that. I love that because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we are sons and daughters of the most high God, Andrew. We are. But do we always act like children of God? Yeah. See, the true answer is found in this response here. It says, do not love the world or anything in it. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And we might have heard that verse before, but not many of us recite it. Because it points to a truth. It points really to where the focus of our love can actually be found sometimes. And then there's these two verses taken from the King James Version of the Bible. I learned these verses when I was just a kid. And I'll tell you what, I have never doubted since I learned them where they're found, because the answer is found in the song that I was taught when I was just a kid. I mean, I sang this earlier to DJ. He, you know, I, I think you're kind of a fan, but uh, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's growing it's on growing me. It's on three you, right? times a charm, three times a charm. Jim. And the song Jim, goes listen, like this. Love this Beloved, let us love one another. For love comes from God, and anyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, First John 4, 7 and 8. Yeah. <laughs> right. And all the verses, like the ones I just sang, they're a fan, I think. And the yeah. ones we've all quoted so far, they come from the incredible book of First John. Love it, love it. Give it up for Pastor Phil again, right? <laughs> so, 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 Steve, we're going to jump into who wrote First John. We're going to talk a little bit about that, right? See, while there are a lot of questions regarding who actually authored this book, um, partly because the author doesn't actually identify himself, Okay, most theologians have ascribed and always ascribed, Jeffrey, this writing to uh, the Apostle John. Okay, and there are many reasons for that, but one of the main reasons, Tony, is this that um, there's a comparison found, a popular comparison found when you look at the first three verses of the Gospel of John and then 1 John. Okay, see, in the Gospel of John, we find these words it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. 
Now we look over and compare that with the first statement in 1 John and we see this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. See, when you look closely at this, both the Gospel of John and 1 John clarify this, these two things, right? That Jesus is both the Son of God and that he was with God in the beginning. Okay, they also state that Jesus took part in the creation of the world. If you read them, it, it properly and definitely clearly outlines that. It's like the author of 1 John assumed that everyone would have already had read John, right? Okay, and see, this conclusion is drawn from the writing style, Deanna. So it's like, um, and, and the vocabulary. So the writing style and the vocabulary, right? But it's like this. It said the writing of 1 John has also been given this later date. And here's why. See, since the very beginning of 1 John, it tells us that the author witnessed, right, Christ's ministry. That's what it says. Then it says, since, you know, so many historians, you know, uh, know, you know, that John was really old. Yeah, Robbie was pretty old by the time this was written. That means it kind of eliminates the other people from being possible authors because none of them were around. So it was kind of like, it had to be John, right? It had to be John. Now, I don't know about you, but when I write something, when you write something, most likely you have a purpose in mind. You don't write aimlessly. You've got a goal in why you're writing something to somebody. Well, what's interesting here is that John, because of the culture, because of what's going on at the time, there are many sub-purposes that all point to the main purpose that we're going to talk about in just a couple minutes. And so John makes it clear why he wrote this. For example, he says, he's written this epistle so that the church may have joy, so that you may have joy. I don't know about you, but I'm doing a lot of reading, and I'm seeing what's happening in our culture. There's a lot of depression. You know, there's anger. There's a lot of other things going on, but joy I think this book comes to us at a good time so that you may have joy. And John says, I've written this so that you would not sin because sin can sweep over us if we'll let it. But then he says, I've also written this so that you would know that your sins are forgiven. So your sins don't define you, Jesus does. But sin is a reality, but so is God's grace. And for all those who have been recipients of his grace and forgiveness, your sins are forgiven. He says, I've written this so that you would know that God is the Father, and that he's the one who made us. He's the one who loves us. And he wrote this so that they, we, would know Jesus, because he's the one who went to the cross for us. And he says, I've written this so that you would know how to overcome the power of the evil one. As Peter would also write about, that the devil is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And John is saying, wake up. Because he's active, but I'm writing this so that you can overcome him. And then he says, I've written this so that you would be strong. Stand strong in the face of the culture. Stand strong in the face of the accusations, whatever is coming, so that you would be strong. He says, I've written this so that the word of God would abide with them and with you. 
Because many things come and go, but the word of God, it lasts forever. He says, I've written this so that you would know the truth. The truth. What we've seen in our culture, especially over the past couple years, is there's a lot of different versions of Hmm. the truth. There's a lot of half-truths out there, but the truth? John's saying, watch out. I want you to know the truth. And then he says, I've written this so that you would know that false teaching can't come from the truth. And false teaching is filled with half-truths, but not the truth. And he says, I've written this so that you would know others are trying to deceive you. They are. And everyone has an agenda. We see this in our culture as well. And so there's sometimes truth that's hidden because they want you to buy the agenda, not the truth. And he says, I've written this so that you would know that you can have eternal life. Life everlasting. Indeed. You see, through all of these sub-purposes, once again, we see how the Gospel of John and 1 John are related, very closely so. See, the Gospel of John was written to persuade, persuade non-Christians to believe in Christ and find eternal life in him. Mm-hmm. While 1 John was written so that those who say they are Christian uh, would know that beyond all certainty that they have found eternal life in him. One pastor used to say it, he said it a long time ago, and it still holds true today. He said, you got to know that you know that you know that you know you're saved. (laughs) And John writes to this. In fact, our study of 1 John, it's very strategic. This has been in the planning for some time. Because if you look back, if you remember back to last spring, we had the series called Salt and Light. And Jesus says, you are salt, you are light. Salt is bring healing in the name of Jesus. Light, you are to bring truth to others. You are salt, you are light. Healing and truth. And that's so important in light of our culture that's filled with so much doubt. In fact, doubt has become what's esteemed in our culture today. Questions filled with all kinds of doubt. And so we move from salt and light to the series called Beyond Doubt. And we talked about false teaching that's going on in our own culture. John talks about his, but we have our version as well. We specifically focused on progressive Christianity. And we said, you know, what is being said out there? How do we respond? Because this movement out there is trying to unroot your faith. And that led us to Rooted then. A series focused on how to root your faith, how to know what you believe, why you believe it, and how to share what you believe with others. And then this takes us to the series we're launching today. Because now that we've been rooted in the Christian faith, we want those roots to go down deep, deeper in Christ. Deepening roots, of course, help us to live beyond doubt as we encounter all kinds of challenges and challenges to our own faith. See, this is one reason why John wrote this, because in his own culture, he was seeing all kinds of false teachers. They were saying all kinds of things. Some were saying, you know, that Jesus, he was never human. Some were saying he wasn't the Messiah. And so the veracity of Jesus Christ was in question. And see, the fact that the apostles were either really, really old or dead by now really made it easy for some of these false teachers to gain ground, to to get their footing, uh, uh, to, to, to figure out a way, Lydia, to get a following so they could do and say some of these crazy things, right? But what made it even worse was that these same teachers were proclaiming to be Christian. You know, 
uh, which led us to two central questions that we're going to talk about just a little bit as the church was, was spreading like wildfire across Rome. These were the two questions. It was, who holds the truth and what is the truth? They were struggling. They were battling with it. They were trying to figure that out. They were trying to find out who held the truth. Do you hold the truth? And what is the truth? See, this question still rings in our culture today. There's so many falsities that are just being shared. There, you know, people share so many things. And, and understand this, that just because you believe a lie doesn't make it the truth. And everyone can tell, be telling a lie. It can still be false, right? You hear people say, well, it can't be, it can't be a lie because everyone's saying it. Well, if it started as a lie, by the time it got to you, it's still the same lie, right? So John wrote what he wrote so that they, back then, and we today, would know the truth, right? That's why the Apostle John wrote things like, and themes like light and darkness, truth and lies, love and hate, forgiveness and sin. See, through all of these metaphors, he aimed to show the church how to tell if someone was a true child of God. Yeah, which in turn would help us as believers identify if a teacher could be trusted as a child of God. And let me be clear, as I stated a little while ago, we absolutely need these lessons today in our church and in our culture. And as John shares these lessons with us, I want you to think of him as this really old man. He's writing as your spiritual grandparent, our spiritual grandparent. He's like 90 years old at this point. And so he's writing to this audience filled with all kinds of different believers. Some are fathers, some are mothers, some are young adults, some are teens, some are children. And yet he refers to everyone, no matter their age, as little children. Little children. DJ read this earlier. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. Because this is a term of endearment is what John is saying. And so through every word, he's conveying his love for the church and God's love for them and for all of us. Make no mistake about it, friends. We are his children. And how should we study First John? That's a great question. You guys know I like good questions, right? See, many pastors uh, and teachers have taught First John uh, from an exegetical standpoint, meaning or known by some as verse by verse. Right, And see, this is actually probably the, the best way, the most popular way that people would teach on Paul's letters. Apostle Paul, one of my favorites, right? See, Paul embraced a building block approach. He always built upon a foundation. Mike, whatever he started with, he was always going somewhere. Uh, and that's why it's best to teach verse by verse, say, when you're learning you know, about his letter to Philippi or, or even to the Romans, right? But John's writing style is a little different, okay? See, John rarely sustains a clear line of argument or communication for more than two or three lines. Yeah, yeah, he'll start off, he'll tend to jump on a subject, and before you know it, he's gone somewhere totally different, and it's almost as if he didn't start with an outline, but there's an outline in there. There's an outline. In fact, he's got this whole purpose in mind here. It's almost like John, if, if you're musical in any way, it's like he's writing a symphony, or he's writing a really good jazz song, because he states this theme, and it's obvious, and it's a powerful theme, and before you know it, he leaves it. 
only to talk about something else and then something else and then something else. And all of a sudden, he comes back to that theme again. You're like, oh, there it is. But then he leaves it. And then he talks about something else and then something else. And then he comes back to that theme only to reintroduce it once again. And he does it in a way that's so catchy and memorable. In fact, some have said that if John lived today, he'd be really effective on Twitter. He's really, really good. (laughs) And so we're going to engage with these themes. And as we do so, there will be times we'll be going verse by verse. We will. But as we look at what he's written as a whole, we're going to talk about other things like location, historical context, and Greek word meetings, because they're really important at times as we study 1 John together. Love that. Love that. Excited to get into the Greek word meetings. But when it comes to who wrote John, calm down, Alex. (laughs) Many theologians (laughs) have stated that 1 John isn't really a letter, right? Because they kind of compare it to Paul, right? But they say that because it's not really written in first century letter style of writing there. That's why they say that. So it's like, um, you think about Paul. Paul always ends his verses or his stories or his letters about the audience, about who he's talking to, to the people of Philippi. He's always talking to them, right? For example, here's the end of his letter to the Romans. Okay, and Paul writes this. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Empleatus. My dear friend in the Lord, greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend, Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend, Parisus. Another woman who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me, too. Greet Asrenicetus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermus, and other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I know what you're saying, Pastor DJ, there was a lot of greeting going on in that verse. A lot of kissing too, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a lot of kissing too, okay? (laughs) Um, But but there was actually more. I kind of stopped after verse 16 uh, to just, I figured I had proved my point by then, and I can see uh, John's face. I probably proved it by verse 8. I got it, I got it, okay? But that tells us how Paul wrote that Paul wrote to the people. He made sure that they understood what his point was, what the end result was, what the goal was. But then you look at John. Love John. At the end of John, 1 John, he simply says this. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols, period. That's it. Done. Done. That's it. 
It seems kind of abrupt. <laughs> but it's not because everything he's writing from the very first word all the way through is building up to this. Keep yourself from idols. And an idol, I'll tell you what, is anything that replaces Jesus or comes alongside of Jesus in our lives. And it can be anything. For example, one idol I've seen just kind of creep up in our society over the past year would be the idol of someone's opinion. Hmm. Their opinion is like gospel truth. It's become an idol for some. For others, their idol has been their political party. And Jesus is in there somewhere, but boy, their political party is screaming loud. For others, it's their boyfriend, their girlfriend. For some, their idol is, you know, their appearance or their level of acceptance in the crowd. For others, their, their idol can be their work. It can be their clothing, their home, their car. An idol can be anything. And any idol in our life minimizes Jesus in our life. So think about it this way. An idol is anything I'm willing to sin in order to get or sin if I don't get. Idols can be that important. Do you have any idols in your life? They creep in. Sometimes we don't recognize them, but other people do. So dear children, keep yourself from idols. And one central way to keep yourselves from moving in and believing in and depending on or worshiping idols is to go deeper in Christ. That's right. Yeah, the one who is our life, our light, and our salvation. So rather than try to fit 1 John into some organized writing style, like say 1 Corinthians, we would do better to think of 1 John sort of like um, a sermon or passages from Proverbs. Why, you say? Because it's full of wisdom. And that wisdom, Ryan, is to help us to understand how to be focused so that we know how to go deeper in Christ. So let's talk briefly about our journey ahead as we go deeper. Here are the themes that we're going to be talking about because these are the themes that John talks about. Next weekend, we're going to talk about deep joy, what it means to have deep joy, not just a joy that's here today and gone tomorrow, but a joy that lasts no matter what comes into your life, a deep joy and then on the 16th, we're going to be talking about what a deep walk looks like. Jesus Christ said, you know, come follow me. You know, part of that following is believing in him. Another part of that following is repenting of our sins. But Jesus says, there's more because what it means to, to be with me is to follow me. That's a step-by-step -step daily activity. And so what does it mean to have a deep walk? We're going to talk about that. And then on the 23rd, a deep clean. A deep clean. Because while if you're a Christian, God has forgiven your sins, as we walk this walk, sometimes those other sins, they can kind of creep in, they can kind of sneak into our lives because we like them, because they feel good. They give us a high for a moment. And John says we need a deep clean because sin is real. And then on the 30th, we're going to talk about deep desire. Because we all have desires for many different things. But John is saying, you know what? I want you to be hungry and thirsty after the right thing. The one who can actually satisfy. And that brings us to deep truth then on February 6th. Because we live in a world filled with half-truths. And he says, I want you to know the truth. We're going to talk about that on February 6th. And that fills us then with a, on February 13th with a deep hope. 
Friends, our world needs to see hope. Our world sees a whole lot of other things, but they need to see the hope of Jesus Christ in and through our lives. We're gonna talk about that. And then on February 20, a deep love. This is a critical theme for John. You're gonna see this over and over and over again because I think we've forgotten in many contexts how to love and how to embrace others. And love, as John talks about it, it comes through sacrifice because Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for us. And then as DJ spoke about earlier, we're gonna end the series, uh, because John does, with this theme of deep certainty. That you can know that you 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 are a child of God, saved and forgiven, going to heaven when you die. We're gonna end there. Because bottom line, a deeper life means going deeper in Christ. We wanna dive into other things, Friends, I invite you to invite others to join us as we dive more into Jesus, as we grow deeper in him, because he is the one, he's the only one who can satisfy. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. And now, Lord, we invite your word to change us, to transform us. Lord, we want to be more about just, just our salvation. We want to look more and more like you, Jesus. We want to go deeper with you and in you. Lord, that we would reflect you to others. And Lord, because we're walking such a deep walk with you, it would impact our thoughts. It would impact our words. It would impact our actions. Lord, we want to go deeper, deeper. And Lord, part of going deeper is just to lay ourselves down before you and say, oh man, you're the potter. I'm the clay, mold me. I don't want to listen to me any longer. I want to listen to you. So Lord, help us to go deeper in you. Mold us, shape us. Lord, that we would know you more reflect you more and live lives of substance not shallow Christians but Christians of depth of meaning of hope and life that's our prayer Lord may it be so may we submit to your word so that you will change us Lord in your name Amen
draws us to himself, that we would follow him and be changed by him. And one way that we live deeper in our faith, and one way that he changes us is when we remember him. See, Jesus gathered with his disciples and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And the remembering he's talking about there is not just, remember what I did in the past, just kind of keep it there. Just isn't that kind of cool that he did that. No, it's a kind of remembering that changes each moment. It's kind of remembering, it says, I remember Jesus and how he would want me to speak to that person right now. I remember Christ and, and because I'm remembering him, it's gonna change the way that I'm thinking about that person that's driving me crazy. 
And because I'm remembering Jesus, it's gonna change the way that I serve. It's gonna change my focus. It's gonna change everything. So he says, do this in remembrance of me. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Let's eat and let's remember him. And that same night he took the cup, he lifted it and he blessed it. He said, this is my blood which will be poured out for you. It'll be shed for you. It's the blood of the new covenant. Take it and drink it. And he said, as often as you do this, you do show my remembrance until I return. So I encourage you to every time you enter the posture of communion, that you remember at this table, so much is available. Healing is available. Restoration is available. Reconciliation, instruction, guidance, freedom, deliverance is at the table. Remember that in Jesus' name. And as you go, remember that outside these walls is a world that's divided, a world filled with its opinions, with its half-truths, a world filled with pain that needs Jesus. And a world filled with temptation that it longs to lure you in. And in light of that, remember who you are. That you are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High God. That is who you are. You are his child. We are his children. And so as you go, listen now to these words. To him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.